Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on 101.9 FM, I am Michael McCall. I'm Zachary Aramazio. I'm Steve Pander. Tonight's show is going to be packed with lots of Whitecats chat, Canadian soccer chat, and a lot more besides. So we're going to kick things off in part one with just a, a little bit of a, a look at the, the Whitecaps news of the week. Snowmageddon 2020 has come and gone, unless you're listening to this show in Newfoundland, where I'm pretty sure you're feeling that we're a bunch of pussies out here in the West and call that snow, they're going to be saying. Probably not. But, I mean, it's, it's been bad weather here. There's been bad weather in Australia, as, as we know. This bad weather around the world, is it the sign of the end of days? I'm not sure. But one thing that could be signalling that it could be the the end of days, as the Whitecaps have actually signed some players. I, I didn't see that coming. I thought we were just going to go with a bare-bones squad. Have your your bare-bones to the 18. Everyone knows their role. No one's going to get injured for the whole year. No one's going to get suspended. Just go with those 18 guys, run them into the ground. Like the good old days. We have signed some players. Not midfielders, of course, uh, because that, that would kind of be, be too much to ask for. But we've got a left-back. We've got a winger. Uh, we've got the most Christians, I think, at the White Cap since Martin Rennie's days. But let's talk about the, the first boy that's up. That's not sure. A good young Canadian boy, via Chile. 22-year-old left-back Christian Gutierrez. Acquired on a free transfer from Chilean Primera Division club Colo Colo. He's originally from Quebec. Moved to Santiago as a three-year-old. Played five seasons in Chile and has represented them at youth level. He's another Canadian, like Lucas Cavallini, who has never actually played in Canada, domestically-wise, as a professional. His twin brother, though, Diego, has. He's, he's with Valor FC. And there had been some rumours that Christian Gutierrez was going to join up with his brother Diego in Winnipeg. But no, he's come to Vancouver. With, with all the Adnan to Europe chat that's been going about, this is surely a chance for, for Guti to, to show his worth. Maybe stake out a claim to the role if and when Ali moves on. And having a look at his highlights reel, he seems like a fast, attack-minded player. Nice delivery. Pretty good shot on him. Didn't see a lot of defensive work in the highlights that they put out there, which is a little bit maybe concerning for a guy that is a left-back. But 
he had some crunching tackles going in and some good recovery tackles going in, so that was good. But it seems a very adequate kind of backup, a very serviceable backup as well. Yeah, he's someone who is not super surprising to to people in Vancouver. Uh, for I can't remember going back how many months now he has been someone that has been rumored uh, or at least talked about in at least some of uh, supporter speculator circles as someone who could be a fit for Vancouver with his uh, obviously his connections to Canada. Um, the thing that I said there that might be a little bit concerning when you look at you know his his performances over the last four or five years is just the number of games he has played. He has not played a lot of games in the with the clubs he's been at. Right? Uh, he, I think, it averages like less than yeah. He averages like ten to twelve games a year. Just doing some quick math, uh, which is not a lot. So that's a little bit of a concern, even for someone his age. It's a bit of a concern, and so uh, you hope that he will be able to make a contribution to the Whitecaps in a in a positive way. Again, the big question, which we you know people have been talking about, is what is Ali Adnan's long term future? Will he be here short term? Will he be here long term? And what role does Gutierrez maybe play in filling that? I mean, he definitely seems like he he's here to kind of stake a claim to possibly taking over from Ali when Ali does inevitably move on, which I don't think is going to be just now. I mean, it could possibly be in, into the summer. But, I mean, he looks good from what we've seen if from the highlight reels. He does seem to be a guy that likes to get forward, and we know that Mark DeSantis likes that from his fullback. So, interested to see what he's going to be like in a game. He, he can play other roles as well. So, I mean, we could even see him play a little bit on the left wing if needed. Gutierrez was the first signing of the week. Then on Friday... We got the long-anticipated announcement that Christian Dahomey was a white cap, uh, an exciting winger that can cause terror on both flanks and actually score, which is always a, a plus. Seems a bit more consistent than the wingers we had maybe brought in last year. Signed for basically a free transfer, although a small fee was given to his youth club Bogota FC as they held his rights not the Sudamerican champs Atletico Nacional because of the weird South American setup that there, there's lots of third-party ownership. And in this case, it looks like the youth club is the guy that actually owned him. But it doesn't seem to have been a big fee. And it is nice anyway to reward the, the youth club that's maybe developed him and brought him on. Something I wish we would do a lot more of here in North America. And, I mean, he looks, again, like a, he could be a a really good addition to the team. We've talked about him a little bit before in previous shows. He's performed at a high level. He wants the stability that Vancouver and MLS can offer him and his family for the next couple of years. Because there was the rumours that Corinthians and Brazil were interested in him. It looks like Vancouver, reading between the lines, were offering him a two-year contract, whereas Brazil was possibly just offering him a one-year one. So that's given him a, a little bit more stability but as anyone that knows the MLS transfer system, I don't really know how much you can say that any MLS contract is a stable contract because players can be cut, transferred, anything uh, at any notice. But he does look exciting. He looks like a guy that is going to provide a lot. Again, if you watch his highlight reel, he looks like a guy that's going to be whipping in these crosses for hopefully Lucas Cavallini to, to finish and get quite a few finishes off his own. Yeah, again, like we talked about last week, it's a kind of a bit of a hopeful time for Vancouver, and this is another symbol of that or another sign of that is is a winger who can play both sides and has some attacking has some quality attacking abilities. Uh, it's also nice when you see 
you know, if you're a fan of the Whitecaps, to see them uh, win out, you know, over someone else, you know. So whether or not things were where things were at with Corinthians and whether or not they could actually stake a claim to him or get him or whatever, it's nice to see Vancouver win out on someone because you hear and you see in the Whitecaps front office have told you in the past on players they've lost <laughs> they've lost out on. So it's nice to see them kind of kind of get someone uh, with some uh, this kind of upside. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where where he fits in. I think there's been talk of, I think I heard Schuster talking about how like we are going to play four three three, and we so they're going to need some they're need going to need some wingers, and uh, it sounds like he'll be uh, crucial to what they're looking to do. Yeah, I mean four three three, I think is probably going to be the main formation that they decide to go with this season. There could be a little bit of tinkering along the way. We ran an article during the week from Joe Deasy. The I can't remember. He said it was like nine. I think it was nine different formations the Whitecaps used in 2019, which is crazy because if you were trying to list off formations, you'd be getting to like five or six fairly easily. Then you'd have to be stopping and thinking, well, what, is there this one? What about this one? So I think four three three is going to be the more stability. Dahomey is clearly going to be a starter. We know if it's four three three that two of those starters. Looks set to be Cavallini and Dohomey. We're going to look in the next part about some gaps that the, the Whitecaps clearly have in their in their squad just now, just in general, but in their starting lineup in particular. I mean, there's some places that we really need to fill. Now, Dohomey for me is interesting because it was announced he's a TAM player, and Corinthians had reportedly offered 2.3 million to to kind of bring him there. We don't even know if Tam's going to exist after the next CBA is sorted. So, I mean, Whitecaps have pulled the gun on that, maybe confident that they know that no matter what happens, something can happen. Maybe clubs have been told, look, if you've got Tam players and we change this, you're not going to be out of pocket. We're going to make sure that things work. Or they used all their Tam because they knew it would... They'll probably give a one-year leeway or whatever. I'm, I'm assuming they would yeah, give one year... Yeah, because it's going to be too big a nightmare to try yeah, and change to figure this thing, out. things over, you, you would think. But, I mean, if... That was the kind of figures that we're talking about down in Brazil. I mean, a guy like this in the past would normally have have been probably a DP here in Vancouver. Yeah. But, I mean, that's all going to be interesting. So we've added two new players. But as we add, we have to subtract. And it was announced that club captain, I'd like to stress that. Well, was it a lot of games? I, or? I know, folk, folk have talked about... Johnny Reese being club captain, but Mark DeSantis did say at the start of the season he was club ca- captain basically by default because oh, okay. he had to name one. And if I'd have went up to MDS, oh, right. okay. he wasn't going to name one at all. And he was the most experienced, and it did. He ticked all the boxes with his experience and, and everything that, like that. But I mean, we've talked about it for months. We didn't expect him that he was going to be back. Uh, it was revealed that Arisi had been chatting to the, the club via WhatsApp and they'd all agreed to, to kind of mutually part ways. No big surprise it's going back to Spain. It is disappointing though that it didn't work out as he looked to have good potential. He looked to be, when he was brought in, the number six that, that we were needing. But then it just turned out, and we won't batter this to death as we've talked about it so much, that he, MLS was just not the league for him. A talented guy. Wrong league. Well, yeah, a lot of experience, but lack of experience in traveling for sure, uh, and that that's what did him. And I think uh, I think he just wasn't used to all the travel, and it wore on him as the season. Also, I think he wasn't used to the speed. Yeah, 
Um, you see, uh, you probably didn't have enough time on the ball to figure out what he wanted to do. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, the the pace of play, the freneticness of 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 MLS and the way it's kind of uh, you know, lots of people refer to it as an athletic league, right? It's it's this frenetic. Uh, trying to close down space, people running at you very quickly, whereas in Spain, it's more methodical. And there's, it's, there's he had more time on the ball there, and he did not have that there. And his lack of um, either speed of thought or or just his physical speed or the two combined were really let him down this year. And yeah, I think you have to be like a Perlow type in order to be th- – that's I mean, I'm using quotation marks. That's slow, yeah, and still be able to handle MLS. That, that's a yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. So there's going to be a, a lot more additions to come. For for that we know because there's certainly some some gaps in the squad, and we're going to look in part three at the preseason roster that's been announced. And right now, eighteen signed first team players are going to be in that preseason camp. So you know there's still a lot of places to fill. Some players are in, some players will still be going out, yet you have to feel as well. And we're going to be back chatting with a player that is most certainly going to be here next season, Lucas Cavallini, and we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. was our Artist of the Month for January, German band Grrr. I just like saying that. That's the main reason I picked them. Well, plus that and their songs are fantastic. That was She Says from the album of the same name, released in 2019. Check them out. We've got one more song to come from them next week. And that's Grrr, G-U-R-R. Not the way that I'm going, Grrr. Anyway, there's a lot of coming and going this off-season. Most of the, the additions so far have seemingly come kind of off the pitch, or the, the key ones. But one of the key players on the pitch is clearly going to be new striker, designated player, Lucas Cavallini. Now, Lucas, coming into the Whitecaps, big money signing, there might be pressure on him right off the gate. If you speak to him, though, he kind of brushes that off. He doesn't feel that, that there's too much pressure on him. He's obviously going to still need to get a lot of help to, to put the ball in the back of the net from the midfield, the wingers as well. But he's a confident guy. And Steve, he, he's in really good form right now, coming to the Whitecaps internationally at club level as well. We seem to be getting him 
at a perfect time. Yeah, and I know you said that we need help. He needs help in the midfield. That's for sure, especially in the middle of the midfield. But the wingers are kind of um, lining up right now. So the the wide area of play is is lining up. It's the midfield that needs help. But he's the kind of guy that, like you said, he doesn't need. He's 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 confident. He's got the confidence that a striker needs. Uh, you don't want a striker without confidence. That's the worst scenario you can have. So it's good that he has the confidence. He's good. If he feels this is no pressure because he can come in and do the job. Yeah, and he's well travelled. He's played for some some big teams, Penarol, Nacional in in Uruguay, two big sides, Puebla. Maybe not one of the biggest sides in Mexico, but I mean, he's used to these hotbed environments and everything like that as well. So it's going to be interesting to see. How he kind of adapts to MLS, and it's funny though. The, you know, the people they're bringing in, yeah, they're bringing in. A lot of people say, "Oh, they're bringing in Canadians," but they're bringing in Canadians that have had extensive training in uh, South America, like Christian Gutierrez. Extensive yeah. training, obviously, he moved at three, but even uh, Cavallini, I think it's six, fifteen, sixteen. That's when he moved down to Uruguay. So, are we too Canadian? Do we hate America because we only have Jake Nowinski as I think the sole American on the squad? I don't see that as being a bad thing. No. But Lucas Cavallini is definitely one of the players to, to watch this this year. Got a, a chance to speak with him on Saturday afternoon. The players were all back at pre-season training on Saturday. Saturday was doing all their medicals and physicals and stuff like that. So I got a chance to speak to him on the phone. Just I wanted to, to talk not so much about him coming to MLS, but just about his journey in getting here and what it was like going to South America at an early age and playing all the games there. So sit back, grab a chocolate digestive and your favourite hot beverage and enjoy Lucas Cavallini. So, first thing really to, to ask you, Lucas, it, it's been a bit of a, a whirlwind, I guess, the, the last month or so. How like, how was your Christmas? Was it a case of like working on what you had to get and moving here and getting everything sorted out? Yeah, well, obviously, I had a good vacation. I I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, like any vacation, you try to just get uh, your, your, your normal life uh, on a rest. So, yeah. Obviously, with the family and all, uh, we enjoyed Christmas and all that. My break was well. And here, you know, Vancouver, they, they take care of everything for you. So, obviously, I had people who who um, tried to help me as, as most as they could. And, yeah, so just so everything would be easier to, to come into training session, have everything already arranged for me. So, um, yeah, I'm comfortable. I was comfortable with uh, how they handled things for me. So, I could have... Enjoyed my vacation even better. I mean, you, you've been away from, from Canada since, was it 16, 18 that, that you went down to, to South America? Yeah. I, is it a bit weird being back now living in the country? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, yeah, obviously, of course. Uh, I'm, not used to, I'm not used to living here in, the, in my homeland. And, uh, you know, it's different, obviously, different experiences and then coming back coming back home and um, living back to what I lived before so it's kind of it's kind of weird but you know it's, it's, I'm happy to be here you know now I, I was reading just a, a little bit about your family so I know that your your dad's from Argentina so I mean coming with an Argentinian dad it's like football was obviously going to be the the, the sport that that you were going to follow 
What was it like, like when you were playing in Canada uh, as a kid? What was it like in the youth set up here? Was was being a footballer what you always wanted to do? Of course, of course. You know, in my household, uh, football was the most popular, right? Um, we, every every TV I had in my house was uh, had soccer on it. So obviously, <laughs> obviously, from my dad being uh, from Argentina, of course, he motivated us to play football. So. Um, yeah, that didn't stop me. Even though we lived in Canada, where Canada back in the days, you know, you didn't have that much opportunity to become a professional soccer player. So obviously, I knew I had to go abroad in order to chase my dreams. So I never stopped. And uh, obviously, as a youth in Canada, I just stuck with it. You know, trained as hard as I could and tried to get as better as I could, just in order to uh, to be able to uh, have a have a good tryout down south and. Well, that's where my everything started. How did you end up in Uruguay? I mean, you'd think Argentina would be the place you'd maybe have ended up. So what took you to Uruguay in the end? In the youth system in in, in Canada, we had uh, professional coaches or ex, ex-pros that uh, played in Uruguay, obviously in Argentina as well. But um, no, I, just because of Uruguay being a, a smaller country and uh, I guess at the time security was a big problem in Argentina. Uh, my dad thought it was better for me to, since I was young, 16 years old, leaving home by myself. It was better. It was a better decision to go down to Uruguay. Um, and yeah, obviously one of my coaches had a lot of contacts there, and he he was able to get me get me a chance to to try out for Nacional in Montevideo. And from then on, uh, I just I was on a good path and. That's where everything started for me, and it was it was it was a dream come true, you know. Yeah, and like be, being at Nacional, and then I, I know you left there and and you went to Phoenix, but th- then you ended up at Penarol, which is like obviously the big big rivals of, of Nacional, and like as, as me coming from Scotland, I kind of equate that if if someone played with Celtic and then went to play for for Rangers, I just know what kind of hostility that they would get in the city. Did. Did you have anything like that when you ended up playing with Penarol from the from the national supporters? Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, obviously, you have to go through that. Uh, uh, it's not easy, but you know, um, at the end of the day, nothing. I didn't have any problems at all. Obviously, once in a while on the streets, you get cursed or something from the other fans. You know, traitor, traitor, stuff like that. <laughs> but you know, uh, you do anything for football, anything to. To, to be in a better place, you know, uh, try and uh, try and keep climbing stairs. So, you know, I knew Peñarol was even a bigger step for me. And uh, in order to, to, to go abroad, to, to leave Uruguay eventually and, and even uh, have a better career. Now, I mean, Uruguay is obviously a hotbed of football and then you, you ended up going to another hotbed of football in Mexico as well. Was making a move to Mexico something that you you always wanted to to try, or or how did you end up ending up at Puebla? As 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 any professional soccer player, every anybody wants to play in Europe eventually, you know. But uh, yeah. uh, at the time, it wasn't the case, you know. I got a chance to go to Mexico. Uh, it was something that uh, not that I didn't expect to happen, but you know, uh, sometimes you can't plan your own life and. And when I got to Mexico, it was oh, I didn't expect it to be as great, you know. Uh, obviously, the Mexican league is something really competitive. Uh, fans are really passionate, and it, it's like a 
it's like a mini Europe, you know. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of talented players, players that play from around the world there. So you know, it's a good experience to play Mexico. Um, and uh, I was happy. I was happy with my decision, and you know, it's brought me where where I am now. Yeah, now I I won't ask you about the move to MLS because you you talked a lot about that when you you had the the press conference. But the the season's coming up now. The the Whitecaps are 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 building their their team and they've just added a home uh, as the, as the winger. Hopefully that that's going to be creating for you. I mean, what what are you kind of hoping for th- this season? Do do you see yourself like having? extra pressure on you because you're coming in as a Canadian and coming in as a big money signing? No, not at all, not at all. It's not a, it's not a matter of feeling pressure. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, being happy, uh, feeling comfortable where I am, you know. Uh, obviously, having, uh, being Canadian, playing on a Canadian team, you know, uh, all this hype towards me, it makes me, it makes me anxious and I'm looking forward to start the season, you know, uh, obviously we're doing what we love. We're playing football. They're paying us to play football. Like who, who gets that opportunity in life to get paid of what you love to do? So I don't, know, I don't really call it pressure. Uh, pressure is more what you call waking up at five in the morning, uh, doing something you don't want to do, but you know you have to provide for your family. And you have to be able to to work your ass off all day. Sorry for my language, but uh, oh, that's <laughs> uh, But you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no pressure at all. And I, I, I don't speak any Spanish, but I was kind of. They had tweeted out some video of you talking about how you, you kind of think of like a kind of Latin America mentality. I think was what the translation said from the the video the other day. And obviously in MLS, a lot of the most successful players are kind of Latin American players. People from south america there's been a, a lot of good talent that's done well in mls so do you feel your game is kind of like ideally suited to what mls is right now well you know uh i was young when i went to south america so uh you can say that uh i have a sort of a latin american mentality you know when it comes to football so no, I don't think uh, I'll change my mentality now. I'm willing to bring what I've learned to the MLS and obviously uh, make it a better place, make it a better league, uh, just as all the Latin American players are doing coming to this league, you know. Uh, Carlos Vela, Joseph Martinez, all based Latin American players, you know. So they're shaping up the league to be something great. So uh, it's, it's something that I learned and, um, yeah, I'm willing to bring it to my club. I know that Mark and Axel had mentioned that you had been kind of just dealing with a couple of injuries and they weren't really sure whether you'd be fully training this coming week or not. How how are you feeling physically just now? Oh, I'm good, I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to start training. I'm going to be going to incorporate with the team right away. So obviously I'm, I'm feeling 100% right now and I'm, I'm looking forward to starting the season. Thanks so much for your time, Lucas. Uh, looking forward to seeing you in action and I'll, I'll probably chat with you next week as well when you're at training. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Lucas. Bye. Take Lucas Cavallini there, 
really enjoyed chatting with him. My favourite, my favourite interview of the year. Sp- speaking of favourite interviews, la- last week on last week's uh, episode of the podcast, uh, you did a couple of interviews. Which was your favourite on that episode? Ryan Raposo. <laughs> I know you want me to say you, but no. I can't, like people say they can't choose between their favourite child. That's how I look at, at, at you and Steve. It's like it's impossible to, to decide who's my favourite. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. If, if, like, if someone put a gun to my head, I mean, clearly Zach. But for, for the sake of, of fairness, let's just say I, I, I love you both equally. Anyway, Lucas Cavallini. Talking about uh, going over to, to South America at such an early age. Now, he's 16 when he went. And I don't think, no, no matter how confident you are at yourself at that age it's such a, a big thing to do and it's like it must have been so difficult for him going there as a Canadian yeah. to try and win over the locals and the coaches and, and everything but he did it and it, it just shows you he wanted to be a footballer no matter what yeah. and no, no matter what it took and you've got to admire him for that and and the thing is is I don't think that he was probably welcomed that greatly initially uh, I think he's mentioned on other interviews too that it was a rough going they were all jammed up into one small room which is typical I think of most uh, academies there in South America yeah it's interesting it's nice to hear him share about the uh, it was, I you know, I'm not trying to suck up to you, Dad, but I enjoy I enjoyed the some of the questions you asked there, uh, just being different from the ones he's been asked so far. Um, and it's yeah, it's great to hear him talk about his experience and what it was like to you know all that he had to do to make it in the game of football, and yet you can hear that he just has this deep desire to play at the highest level that he can. Um, which some might question why he's come to MLS, but uh, seeing as he's come to MLS, you, you think he's going to bring that same determinism, that that same drive to excel, that same drive to to succeed, and and that's again, that's got to be exciting. Yeah, he's he's certainly a, a very driven man, and I mean, he talked there that ultimately he had hoped to make a move to Europe, but it wasn't happening, so that's when he ended up go, going to Mexico and. He, he loved his time in Mexico. I, I'd said to him at the start, I, I was just going to keep him for 10 minutes, and usually my 10 minutes ends up as 20 minutes. But in this case, I wanted to stick to it. And I wanted to ask him a little bit more just about what it was like going over as a as a young player, as a 16-year-old. But he has talked about it in some previous interviews, so I decided not to do that. But we, we maybe talk about that at future time with him. But I did ask him about the expectations and the kind of the, the pressure that might be on him. And as we talked about in the introduction to that, he doesn't feel it. But I mean, what what are your expectations of him right now? Considering he doesn't have much of a, a midfielder, wingers really to, to go with, assuming that all these pieces are in place, is he the guy that's going to... We talked a little bit about it when he was announced. Are you expecting him in, in double digits? Are you expecting him in, in high double digits? I definitely expect him in double digits. Um, obviously, 10 would be the, the smallest of those double digits, but I expect more. I'm hoping, and I don't. I'm, this is not expectation on him, but I'm hoping he can hit 15. Um, uh, that would be my minimum that my hope would be. I'm hoping, and then uh, on top of that, I, you know, if he gets like two or three above that, that'd be excellent. Uh, yeah, and that's assuming that all the pieces are in place, like you said. No, yeah, I mean, based on where things are right now, Michael, you you have to hope that he's going to finish on potentially the limited service he'll receive, and also create a number of goals himself. 
uh, I, I would agree that, you know, he has to hit double digits no matter what. Uh, and it doesn't matter how many penalties he takes or doesn't take or, or how bad the service is. He's got to hit double digits on this team. You also have to be thinking about this in, in the respect of, like, or at least somewhat thinking about this in the perspective of what they've invested previously and what they've gotten out of that. So when you look at the Colombian who came in and got, whatever, 13 goals or whatever it was, and, you know, his salary was like 1.77 or 1.7 something or whatever. Uh, you look at uh, Kai Kamara after that. They brought in Kai Kamara, paid him less than a million, if my memory serves me correctly, and got 15. I think it was out of him. So, you, I mean, you, you got to think that uh, there are at least some people at the Whitecaps who are thinking he's got to be 15 to 20 on the season. Obviously, it's a unfinished jigsaw puzzle. And so you, we're only looking at part of the picture. Once that gets filled in more, you hope that those numbers would even the expectation of those numbers would even go higher. I, I'm hoping for fifteen to to eighteen. I think anything less than fifteen in a normal season where he's fully fit and he's playing all the games, I think that would be disappointing for a a, a big DP coming in. But it, I, I'm just fascinated to see how he's going to link up with some of the other pieces, like with Reina and Dahomey. And I mean, talking to Dahomey. If you're referring to the Colombian, you're going to have to get. You're going to have to clarify between Colombian one and Colombian two, possibly. Is the Colombian and Dahomey? Oh, never going to change on Freddy. Poor Freddy. We'll talk a little bit about Freddy though in the next part when we're looking at preseason camp. But I mean, a lot of questions for for Lucas Cavallini. A lot of people want to know stuff about him. But I think the most pressing question that anyone could ask him as a white cap is: Does he fancy a chocolate digestive? <laughs> If you're sitting at home and you decide to have a hot beverage, would you go for a, a tea, a coffee, or something else? An espresso, for sure. I thought you might have gone for the yerba mate because all the South Americans that we've had have been drinking that. So, uh, no, that, that's for sure. But I, that, that, change my change my to mate, please. <laughs> oh, will do. Uh, and are you a kind of a biscuits fan, a cookies fan? Yeah. What What's your favourite kind of cookie? Chocolate chip, probably. And are you a dunker? <laughs> yes, I do, but not in my mate, in my milk. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Another that is going for chocolate chip cookies. Whichever white cap comes in this season and picks chocolate digestive, he's going to be my favourite player for the year. I think you're required to carry around uh, a hopefully a non-melted packet packet of chocolate digestive. Oh, you can award that as a award yeah. if they do pick it. Ooh, yeah. Like when I'm asking the guys that don't speak English, I'll just hold it up and they yeah, can go. Help. So the white cap's starting eleven. Coming into the this season, there's there's holes, to say the least. Good movie. Yeah. Oh, who I was that? Shia Night Sh- It's on Disney Plus. So you should watch it. Holes. Yeah. Holes. How, how, how young is he? Uh, he was in his starting ages. Oh. Was that M Night Shyamalan? No. What am I thinking about then? I have no idea. Huh. Hmm. His his he is like the happening or not uh, like that. His movies had lots of holes in them, and maybe that's exactly what I'm thinking. So the white cap starting at eleven. Let's kind of look look at who we've got. So we know we've got Max Repo as a goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Right now, 
Jake Nerwinski, Ali Adnan fullbacks. are the, the two fullbacks. Your your centre backs. We're only just now because we don't have, haven't signed Godoy yet, although that's close um, yeah. to, to coming over the line. So let let's count Godoy. Okay. So you've got Godoy, Kamiri, Cornelius, Didich, Didich. Maybe we'll talk about Didich in the next part. If you're looking at Godoy, Kamiri, and Cornelius from those three, who are your two starters? I got obviously Godoy would be one, and based on hairstyle, I'd probably have to go to Kamiri. Oh, yeah. are you joking? That's a joke, right? You're just trying to get a rise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm trying to get a rise. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's he's got those are hair extensions or something. I think he lost a bet. I, I hope so. I, I I don't mind that. that or guy. his life is in danger. I don't, he needs to wear this hairstyle. <laughs> I don't mind that kind of hair w- when it's real. When it's fake, I just I think it like it's awful. Maybe uh, they celebrate Halloween at a different time <laughs> in his country. But um, I, yeah, I hope his I hope his football is better is better than his choice of hairstyles, uh, and I mean that in, in as at least a disrespectful way as possible. Um, I actually think Cornelius is probably going to begin the season. With, yeah, so do I. With with, with Godoy. because they played together a lot. Uh, yeah, I think uh, they want to still ease uh, in Kamiri. Un- unless Kamiri has some uh, plays out of his skin or out of his hair out of. Out of his extensions um, in the preseason. I agree on all those things, especially the hair aspect. His hair last year was so luscious. It was just wonderful. It's like, it's so disappointing. But the only kind of wild card could be, we could see Godoy as right back mm. and then go with Cornelius and Kamiri. So, I mean, that, that could still be an I option. don't see that happening because if they're going to spend that much money on him, I see them they needing him to be at uh, centre back. Mm. Now the rest of the, the the team, the attacking midfield options. Can, can, can we uh, skip the midfield and just well, go to the wingers for yeah. now? We'll come to the midfield. So after. wingers, right now, you're looking at Raposo de Homi on either wing Arena. potentially. But would you play Reina as a winger though? If you're playing with only one striker up top, yes. Mm. Unless you have to force to play. Because I'm middle. thinking midfield of having Reina. Behind uh, Wong and Andy Rose or Tiber are, you, are your options well, right now? Right now, oh, yes, yeah. But uh, I think it's. I hear you in or in theory, Steve, that having Reina wide. But I just think of all those times when he was playing wide, and we were just like, it's not the best for him. Yeah, like even when he did make contributions, I think we would say, yeah, he scored a goal or he set this up, but. For the flow and the play of the team and the build of the team, this is not the best spot for him. And so, I, with the lim- I know that things are very, very limited now, in the, especially in central midfield. But I think if you, you know, if I was putting out my, if you were to put out your best preseason squad right now to play a friendly, I would probably want, yeah, Lucas in the middle. You want uh, the Dahomey on one side. You want Raposo on the other side. And then in midfield, you go uh, in Bamwang. And Reyna, kind of the attacking one, mm-hmm. and Imbom sitting back with probably Russell Tiber. Um, I don't. The the thing about Reyna though is if you put him on the left side, um, Ali Adnan is going to be moving up the pitch a lot. So why not at that point when the attack is going on, then Reyna cuts into the middle and that's where he can mm-hmm. provide service. But you still have him wide during the build up of play. Yeah, okay, that's better. So, yeah. yeah, yo, so, like, on the, the pregame formation that you put over people, he's lined up as the left winger, but, but in actual playing... In attacking play, and, he's going yeah, to the he's wing. really always kind of tucked in mm-hmm. and or central because because of what Ali's doing. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That reminds me of, like, back in the day, talking to, like, Michael Nanchoff about Caleb Porter at... at uh, 
what was the school called? Akron. He said they would not play with a right winger. Yeah. They were just, everything was so tilted towards the whole left side of the field because they were so good there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the right side, you, you have to think like Axel's keen to bring in a, a right winger. It seems like. Yeah. Because, I mean, you've, you've got the homie on the left. So a right winger is definitely something I think that they need to try and, and, and figure out. We also need a six and an eight. That's kind of fairly obvious right now. We need a 10 in one regard, but if we're playing 4-3-3, I don't think we do need a 10. And we've never really had any luck in bringing 10s here. No. I think this is going to be a season that we are going 4-3-3, and there's not really going to be a 10. So a 6 I, and an 8, because I think you'll have 6 and 2 8s as that makes Yeah, eight. but the eight, the, the other 8 that you bring to play alongside in bomb would be nice if he had 10 tendencies. Yeah, but it's just Reina, really. So, yeah. I mean, if you've got Reina and then Baum as your two eights... But my only problem with Reina is how much does he control the midfield? He's more of an attacking... That's why I would like somebody that can be an eight, but actually kind of move up and play like a ten sometimes. Sorry, just going back to... I also want to give a shout-out to your favorite named Whitecap, Toss. Because I think he can play on the wing fine. So you oh, might sure. you might see home on one side and Toss on the other side. Um, because of his pace, because of his experience in the league, and because of his ability to, to play there and to you know, cut inside or be that, like, second kind of bigger, powerful forward. Yeah, that's true. And there's also Theo Bear as well that you could play out in the wing. I was completely forgetting about them. And, yeah, just scored for Canada in form. It was a goal I think I could have put away. But still, he scored. A goal's a goal. That's all that counts. Now, Schuster said he hopes to have news on the midfield front this week, or one player, uh, at least anyway, which, I don't know, I'm hoping might be a six. The transfer window, and in particular the intra-MLS transfers, can take place until February 13th, which isn't great, because it's like two weeks really before the season starts, but it could be pointing that MDS wanted to add MLS experience, and he hasn't done that so far in anyone no. that's been brought in. So it could be that they're waiting to fill these midfield positions Cause with as those other, pieces. Yeah, as other teams bring in new players, they're going to have surplus of, their, you know, previously that were starters on their team that they might need to give up because of salary cap reasons. So that's where they could take advantage and get somebody who's um, obviously been training the whole time, but actually kind of uh, shows up at the last minute. Yeah, and th- we've talked about, I think you've talked about this before, Michael, in the past. This is one of the frustrating things about how they've gone about uh, communicating at different times and in different ways. So be- beyond the commitment to season ticket holders to do stuff by January 30th, uh, you had Mark DeSantos and I believe also Alex, uh, Axel Schuster uh, saying that, hey, we're going to have all the players in by, you know, by today, by, or, you know, by the 20th of, of January to be here for the beginning of camp. And now it's like, oh, we might get one more this week, and that will bring the, the actual roster up to, like, whatever, 21 or whatever it is, which is extremely deficient. So that's that's really frustrating. Obviously, there are constraints to that. There are rules to that. There are uh, all kinds of factors to that. I just wish they wouldn't have said stuff like that, uh, th- those two individuals. The other people said the other thing. I, I don't know wh- why they would have chose that the January 30th date, um, but – they had their reasons. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The, one of the thing about about those comments from the executives in the past was they told supporters in a meeting, uh, th- they said this. They said, uh, we would tell you who we're going to bring in, but you wouldn't believe us. And it's January 20th, and I don't think there's anyone they brought uh, on the playing side or on the off-field side that anyone would say, 
while we can't believe who you've brought in. And so, again, kind of more disappointment from people who are famous for their disappointments. For me, although it's nowhere near ideal, you want to have guys that's going to be deemed as your starters in place before they go and play the really kind of meaningful friendlies, if there's such a thing, when they go down to the Portland Portland one is the most So you want to have, I mean, if the MLS window and everything opens on the 13th, You've got three days to three, four days to fill it before the first game in Portland. You want to have those guys there ready to go in Portland, get the chemistry going, get the understanding going. You've got three games in Portland and you've got a week when you get back to get ready for the season. So we'll see what happens. It's not ideal. Training camp, as I mentioned, got underway on Saturday. The on-pitch action takes place on Monday, which has been most football be listening to this episode of the show. The roster's been announced and we're going to look at that after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio. That was the Cigarettes. With their back again, here they come. Because guess who's back? Back again. Not Slim Shady. The Whitecaps are back. Pre-season training. The pre-season roster was released today. Attending the camp this week in Vancouver will be 18 signed first-teamers. Dahomey is going to join up in San Diego. He's still got all his his things to sort out visa-wise and green cards and all that kind of stuff. There's three development squad players going to be in the camp as well. Gianfranco Fascineri and Patrick Metcalf are two of those. Now, that's a big change from a year ago and what MDS wanted, where at this stage of the camp, everyone... Felt like they were one of the young guys, but this year is a lot different, and I think that's good, and it just shows that things are going to be very different in preseason this year. But I do like the ones that they brought in. I, I really like Gianfranco. Uh, he really showed a lot last year, and I, I think he can show something where he probably, I think by the end of the year, if they have slots open, they will sign him to a contract. But I, 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 I do like the fact that they're not forcing these young players to come in like they're 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 not desperate to have them in they're actually these guys deserve to be in the lineup quick question for you so mentioned 18 first team players the other one because there's 20 listed on the website is uh what's the name over at PSV, right simon colin well, yeah but also eric godoy is still listed on the website oh, right now the eric godoy situation it had been announced it was a done deal from what i've heard though my understanding is that the caps are still working on some little bits of it 
but he is expected to to join up with. It's with probably the a TAM issue too. It's probably it, got it could be maybe visa stuff as well. Oh yeah, but but Simon's not here, right? No, not as far as I know. No, it looks like he may be staying a little bit longer with, with PSV. Now, despite some internet chatter, Freddie Montero is in camp. Yep, his Instagram had him in his coffee shop today, but it is a Sunday. It's his day off. And his church is down in Seattle, so he's probably down for that and helping out at the coffee shop. He is going to be in camp this week. Freddy is ready, is the word on the street. But of course, this is MLS, and we know that moves can happen at any point. And we talked in the last part that the inter-MLS moves aren't kicking off really until mid-February. I'm pleased to see him back. Hard to see where he's going to slot in. Hard to see him maybe being here by first kick, or if he is, too much beyond that. But he does have a two-year contract. Well, one year left, you know. Yeah, he has a, a, a one-year contract. So we have to change the hashtag then. Now, there's five trialists in the in the camp as well right now. Which is another thing that's new. They don't... Uh, well, we've not, had a few over the years. But not that many. No, most of them not haven't recent. worked out. Someone, we were chatting about this on Twitter tonight, and someone said, have any of the trialists ever worked out? Camilo actually Camilo came in worked in 2011. Out. Yeah, he worked out. In parts, he worked out. The on-the-pitch parts were good. The end of it, not so much. But he came in in 2011 as a trialist. He played down in the Seattle tournament as a trialist. And, yeah, it, he, he worked out really well. But Tiago Ulysses year, didn't. Well, no, he wasn't even a trialist. They actually signed yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had some guys, Robo had some guys down in Hawaii and things that just d- didn't work out. And we're going to look at four of the five trialists just in the next little bit. And we don't want to pump their tires too much because we have seen a lot of these guys not work out. But there's a few of these guys that's in the camp that are actually, it's a little bit exciting. That it feels a little bit different than some of the other years where you saw them and you're like, yeah, I don't think they're going to improve the, the squad that much. But as we'll talk about in a sec, there's a few of these guys that you're like, oh, interesting. Yeah, there's definitely a couple of interesting guys in here uh, that, that you see potential in and that... More so than that, I think that you hope that 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 they get signed. Do you, we're going to start at the the goalkeeper position, work our way forward. Yeah, why don't we do that? And the the goalkeeper that's a trialist is, and Steve chatted about him in last week's show. Daniel Gaglardi, he's the second round draft pick, so they're having a look at him still to see exactly what what is happening. One of the actual development guys that we we didn't mention. We mentioned two of them. The third one is a goalkeeper as well, Bomer, who I don't really know oh, very don't much know about yeah, at all. It's I. Like, I, so, I mean, he might have been just, well. just kind of came on the map or something. Maybe he was with a local club or something like that. First up of the guys, though, that we're going to look into is a guy that back in December 2018, I said MDS should pick up in the, the waiver drafts that were doing the rounds at the time. 25 year old, he is now, Canadian. Centre-back, Amar Didic. A player that MDS knows well from his time at Swope Park and down in KC. He had a stellar CPL season with Edmonton. Got his first national team call-ups and recently his first caps where he looked good. But I think he was playing alongside Derek Cornelius in the games. But he he looked good there, didn't look out of place. There's no guarantee the caps are going to sign him. Although Dwayne Rollins did tweet out today that from... 
everything that he's heard, it looks like the Caps will be announcing him as an actual signing. Okay. Although there has been some It's gone debate. back and forth. There's been debate as to whether he's a free agent, whether he is going to be Sold. a signing or, or what's going to happen. The, but, the final word I saw from Duane was that he's moving up. That was the final wording on look, what his... He's moving up to the Whitecaps, not... There's no mention of a sale or anything mm. like that or a free agent. It's just moving up at this point. So there's no confirmation there at all. But it was going to be a good addition. I did want him, as I said, about a year ago. And I think even since what I'd seen from him back then, he has come on so much in CPL this season. <clears throat> yeah, he's one of the top center backs from the Canadian Premier League's inaugural season alongside someone like Dominic Zator. Who apparently the, the, there's no interest in I think in Vancouver, <laughs> Vancouver uh, depending on who you talk to. Um, uh, yeah, this the, whether or not this is, this is an actual transfer or whether he signed on a free is a really interesting thing. If he if Vancouver gets him on a free, this is some very 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 poor decision making by Edmonton. A lot of players in CPL were on one-year contracts, but this was a player coming in who had like a proven track record yeah. and had should have been signed had, to a multi-year. Had, yeah, had played at higher levels. This is this was like, even if you had a philosophy uh, of only one-year contracts. Yeah, you should have. This is one you should have said no. We need to give him more than one or an option. Yeah, well, if that, yeah, if that's legal. Uh, if that's recognized outside of him, no, but maybe but, maybe Didich actually came in saying I'm only signing a one year. No, that, if yeah, that's he, the case, then you can't really blame Edmonton for that. You might have, but if you're Edmonton, you need to PR wise, you need to get out in front of this and say, or at the, when this is all when the dust settles, they need to be come out and say this is why it happened this way. So yeah, if, if it's sure. a free, they need to say, look, we wanted to bring him in more. Uh, Amir wouldn't come unless he came on a one year deal. Because yeah. if you don't, you look very very foolish especially to your fans. And, I, I mean, I'm not a f- huge fan of a lot of things FC Edmonton have done, both on and off the field. And you talked about him having – he had a good year, but FC Edmonton was not en- like not enjoyable to watch, which is not not, not something that's very new for them. Um, but uh, they they can't fun- – like, they got to get the PR side of this right at the, when the, when the end. If they get something for him, great. Celebrate that as the second player to, to go to MLS probably at, by that point. But if not, they need to – they need to show some transparency so that people understand that they, well, hopefully that they didn't drop the ball. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at it as well. He's got experience with Sporting Kansas City, although it was with Swope Park Rangers, not actually in MLS. And you have to think, was it wise that they let him go? But you have to also remember as well that he counted as an international for any American team with being Canadian because he didn't come through an academy, etc., etc., so, I mean, that's that's gone against him. And possibly he maybe just wanted to go to the CPL for a year just to put himself back in the shop window. And he has most certainly done that. But here here's a question for you. If he was to come to Vancouver, does he come as a starter? And if he comes as a starter, where does he slot in? If he doesn't come as a starter, is this actually setting back his development? And would he not be better staying in the CPL and getting those regular minutes, or being in the the higher environment, is, is that going to help develop him? I I think being in the higher environment, being in the place where I and again I don't want to be disparaging of CPL teams, but their training facilities aren't like we talk about the Whitecaps. The Whitecaps do have one of the best training facilities in, if not just in Canada and all of North America. 
that alone will help him out, the uh, uh, knowledge and everything. And maybe he signs for the Whitecaps for a one-year deal and we, he wants to show something and then move on from there. So I, I think this is a good when, – when the iron's hot and you got a national team call up and everything, you got to strike and you got to move up somewhere. You just can't be stagnant. You have to show movement, even if it means that a year down the road you're going to move back to a, a down a level. You have to show something, so you got to take a chance. Yeah, I agree with you in principle, Steve. I th- I think that uh, you see you see this uh, with even ho- like higher level players in football, right? They get they get an offer to go to a big club where they're not guaranteed to start, which Amir Didish will not be guaranteed to start in Vancouver in any way, shape, or form. And, but you go there to challenge yourself to see if you can make the breakthrough um, and to see if you can move on to a, to a, to another level. So I think that's what he's doing, but. Uh, the thing that you also have to be cautious of if you're Amir and his people is, uh, this is different than signing with a CPL where it's easy to get away from. This is one of the negative things from a player movement side for MLS where the, the contracts with the options. And when you go to MLS, they like to sign a, like you to sign a four year deal, X number of years plus X number of years options. And so if they said to him, Hey, we'll give you a one plus three. I'd be a little bit wary of that. If he could got a one plus one or something, maybe that would be maybe that would have been more of a fit. But we won't know that for a little while. Um, but if it, or yeah, if it all shakes out that way, well, we won't know. But um, I, yeah, I, I like I think both you. I hope for him to be able to continue to develop for his own personal benefit and for the national team. Now, uh, question to you guys: You guys watch a lot of CPL and obviously cavalry and everything. Would you have taken Didich over Zator, or wh- where do you fall in there? Well, and yeah. if you wanted to do that, I know we're going to talk, maybe talk about it later, but Waterman too. Where, where would you slot these three guys? For me, out of those three, I'd have taken Zator on the season that he had. Waterman's got a bit more versatility because he can play DM, he can also yeah. play a, as a fullback. Zator, for me, had a, such a good season. And I know Didich has been brought into the Can- Canadian national team, but I, I'd have picked Zator. And you've got to remember, just going quickly back to what Zach said, John Herdman has talked a lot in the last year about players need to think where they're going if they want to play for the national team. And they have to be in environments where they're going to be starting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, what about you, Zach? Would you have picked Didich, Zator, Waterman? Uh, It's a great question. Uh, I Between uh, Didich and Zator, I think I probably would choose Zator if you're Vancouver. Because of his ability to uh, play right back, I think he's probably better right back than if you, you had to stick Didish there for some reason. Um, and so he's versatile in that way. So between those, I would take them. Uh, Waterman, uh, well, it's a non-starter because he's the first CPL player to be transferred from CPL to MLS, and he's gone to Montreal, which I'm just so happy for the guy. Uh, you know, I spent probably the majority of my life living in Langley, uh, where he grew up. He played for, you know, Aldergrove Youth Soccer. He played for Langley United. He played for Surrey United. Those are the places where he developed. He spent four years at Trinity Western in Langley, where he uh, did most of his development. Then also a year at Kitsap and obviously TSS and then and then Foothills before Calvary. So just an interesting uh, story of someone who's making the jump and excited for him. But if, between those two, I, would, I probably would have gone to tour, but as, as I said earlier, I don't think he had his chance in Vancouver and apparently didn't impress enough to get maybe a second chance. And that might play into it as well. The Whitecaps may not want to be looking to go back and revisit and a guy that they let go. So, I mean, that could come into it. 
But another defender that is on trial out of the five, and this is a an interesting one that kind of seems a little bit out of left field. I feel weird when you say defender on trial. I feel like there's some kind of court case going on or something like that. Yeah, I, I was wondering if we maybe sign any Germans on trial. I don't know, like Nuremberg or something like that, because they have lots of trials there, I heard. But this is a 20-year-old English stroke Welsh right back. He was born in England, but he's represented Wales internationally. Called De Silva. When I was given that name, and then I googled to see who he was, an English Welsh right back was not what I was expecting, expecting from the name yeah. Cole De Silva. He can also play left back, and he actually started his youth career as a left winger, so he's got a bit of versatility there. He came through the Chelsea ranks and was at Chelsea under 23s. <sighs> they let him go in the summer of 2018, then he moved to join Brentford's B team. Hasn't made it into their first team. He's been capped for Wales, though, at under 21 level and below. He also was capped for England at youth level as well, so he's kind of gone a little bit back and forward. He's played in the Toulon tournament for Wales under 20. His brother plays for Bristol City. Don't know anything about him, but we do need a backup right back. So, I mean, he's got a chance to come here uh, and impress. I'm not expecting too much from him, but I mean... We'll see. I'm wondering that this is one you have to wonder where the connection. There obviously is no connection with any of the known staff and scouting. Maybe this is one of those scouting people that we don't know uh, saw this guy. It seems like a weird flyer, but uh, at least he's not like signed to con like before they've seen him first signed to a contract before they've seen him firsthand. Yeah. So yeah, let's see what happens. If something happens, nice. But if not, it's no big loss. Well, I'm excited because he'll know what a chocolate digestive is. Oh. So I'm going to get that in early in case he disappears again. Now, moving into the midfield. And the the two midfielders that are on trial are guys that I am genuinely excited about. And I'm, again, not trying to pump their tyres up too much or get too carried away. They're just having a look. But this first guy, Rodrigo da Costa. Scottish? Yeah, I just guess. <laughs> 26-year-old, Brazilian, midfielder. Yay, a midfielder! He spent last season in the USL with Tulsa Roughnecks. Now, they didn't have a great season as a team. You talked about Amir Didic and Edmonton. But Da Costa was their standout guy. Nine goals, 13 assists and 33 appearances. Was with Florida National University before that. Da Costa grew up playing futsal. He started at the age of five, then he eventually worked his way up to playing on grass in the Botafogo youth system. He comes from a footballing family. His father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were, were all footballers. I think that's all Brazilian family. <laughs> it might be. But, I mean, I watched his highlight reel, and he... Like, there was a bicycle get goal. There was some great assists. There's some great goals. He's got flair. He's got flair. Woo! He looks, if it works out, a very... One of these diamonds in the rough that White Cups are always looking for. Yeah, but he's 26. Yeah, so that that's, might, that's, the, that's where I'm thinking that he, he maybe... He, he didn't really decide that he wanted to be a pro footballer until later. Even at, at college, work came first for him. Yeah. And he kind of... I read a very interesting article that's on, the, on one of the, the websites. I tweeted it out. His father died when he was 14. 
and his father always took him to football practice. And then kind of after that, he lost the love of the game a little bit. Mm. So he concentrated more on his schooling, mm-hmm. earned a scholarship to go to, to the US. And it was more in his kind of senior year at college that he kind of refound that love. And he had a great senior year at college and then a great first year in the USL. So yeah, he maybe is a bit of a, a late developer, but who cares if he can get no, the job It sounds done. like a very feel-good story. Yeah, it, it would be a great story for the White Cats. Like he's, he's more like a guy who, um, you know, you said Diamond Rock, but it could be just a late bloomer. And where he, uh, he, like you said, found the love probably at like age twenty two, or I'm assuming of senior year or something like that. So he's only he's been in USL for four years, one year. So he must have been really late uh, going into college. So it's interesting to see uh, uh, where he rides. But um, USL obviously not that lower level than MLS, but there is going to be a step up. So it's it's interesting to see where he finds uh, his spot in MLS, especially during these friendlies. Yeah, another player where it sounds like a reasonable kind of player to bring in as a trialist. And it sounds like there's a, a ceiling that could be high enough to, to be at the MLS level. So it, 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 this merits a trial as as opposed to players who maybe we've seen trial in the past. This, this one seems really worthy. Now, the second midfielder is also a very interesting one. He's a Canadian guy, Abubakar Sissoko. He's the current U Sports Player of the Year has been playing at his college soccer with Montreal Carabines. He's a senior, he's just graduated this year, played his final season. He's been with Montreal in the last three U-Sport Championship games, winning the 2018 title here, up at UBC. Now, I commentated on that tournament. I remember Sissoko well. He really stood out in that tournament, and he went on from that to have a fantastic senior year, as I said, winning the, the Player of the Year. Now, he's born in Mali, He's been capped by them at under-20 level. He's been here since he was 11 because his father was a diplomat. He's now in the final stages of applying for Canadian citizenship as well. Now, the interesting thing about him is in 2018, let me get my dates right, 2018, he was drafted by Forge. And then this year in the CPL draft, he was drafted by Halifax Wanderers with the view that he was going to go and play in CPL. But now... Before he even does that, he's here on trial with the White Cats. Now, did he play with Forge at all last year, or did he just that? Do... I forgot to look. I okay. meant to look at that. To my knowledge, he didn't. Yeah. But yeah, we'll have a quick check on that just now. But a very interesting proposition. I did like what I saw from him. Yeah, but it sounded like like I saw. I looked him up a little bit. It sounded like he had signed with Halifax, or I'm not sure if he actually officially signed. Well, with no, them. when you when you draft them, yeah, you're drafted initially in a college thing, and then you get the chance to earn your contract in the. Oh, pre-season. gotcha. So they haven't signed him right no. off. So that's a mistake by Halifax yeah. then too. So, but it, it could also be the case if the Whitecaps like him. Yeah, they note that they like him. Let him go and play the season in Halifax maybe call in in the summer or next year. So, okay. I mean, that could be an option. Well, they could well. also, like, like you, they could even, you, did you mention sign him and loan him out or just let him go? Yeah, they could do either. Yeah, they could do either. I, based on transfer market, I don't think he actually played for Forge because they don't even put Forge on his CV. <laughs> so, I'm guessing he wouldn't have appeared for them. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these college guys didn't make it through preseason or decided when they saw what contract was getting an offered for them that they, right. they'd rather kind of sit out because that's one of, the, one of the things as well. And a couple of the guys picked up injuries as well. But, I mean, he looks an interesting one. There, there's been some rumours floating around about different players. So there's another Korean guy, a winger, that the Whitecaps were kind of being linked with. But 
his club is a progressive K2 club that's apparently pushing for promotion and don't really want to let their best players leave. Yeah. Don't know how much is in that story. But there's not been any names out there really linking them with MLS players. Julian Gressel's a name that's been getting thrown out there. Glass City's done well in, in kind of stirring that up. I mean, he'd be great here. Don't know how much there is to any of those. I saw rulers. somewhere it was was the Glass City as well. This mentioned Mark Anthony Key somewhere, or yeah, might have, or that, some. I heard it too. That but. wasn't really. But I don't. I don't believe that that much until LFC wins something. Then I don't think they're going to let him go. I, I think what folk are doing is they're looking at teams like Atlanta. Gressel kind of seems like he's almost surplus to requirements there. Yeah. LAFC, they're making some strong additions to the midfield. Now, Mark Anthony Kay played a very important role for them there. So I don't know how far down the picking order he may have dropped. But if they keep making additions to that midfield, he is a guy that could be of interest. He spoke so highly about Mark DeSantos when I spoke to him when he was here in March mm-hmm. with the national team that, I mean, yeah, who knows? But there's a lot to, to see what's happening. It's still going to be a, a busy couple of weeks. I had said in last week's show I thought this week was going to be busy. It wasn't as busy as I expected, but there were some good additions. Looking forward to, to pre-season camp getting underway. We, we did, just to finish this section up, we got a, a tweet in from No Name Actual, who said, what do you think the big story coming out of training camp is going to be this week? My, my thinking is that one of the younger players um, will take a huge step up. And I'm thinking um, George might be that guy that really impresses in that in this first week, and they they might be talking him up uh, to show that maybe uh, show Jake no whiskey, or maybe they talk up Jake in order to make him more available for trade. I don't. I see a chance of Jake not being on this team by the end of training camp. Yeah, I could see that too. I, I also see the. Uh some of the trialists stepping up and uh, cutting off Dresser Kamiri's hair. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, one of the big stories of this week, I think, are going to be the size of the squad. I think that's going to be one of the, one of the stories. I think, hopefully, the other the other story will be of more than one player coming in. I, I'm going to make three predictions. I think one of them will be the uh, I trialist steps up, and I'm going to go with DeCosta because I've been. I have been pumping his tires after saying I wasn't going to pump anyone's tires. I'm going to say Lucas Cavallini gets injured with an eye injury from Kamiri's flying dreadlock. But I think the dreadful. Yeah. I do think that sadly the story is going to be, as Zach says, maybe the size of the squad and the future of Freddie Montero. That I think that's going to be the main talking points from it. But I, I hope it's not. But we're. We're going to see what happens. We might bring out a, a little extra podcast during the week to, if there's any good little tales. We're going to chat to a number of players this week as well for next week's show and some future shows as well. But we're going to be back talking CPL and Canadian national team next, after this. How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
the girl at the top wearing tulle and a miss somewhere sash waving like the queen but beauty's just another word I'm never certain how to spell go tell the nurse to turn the TV back on welcome back to the AFTN soccer show on CITR radio 101.9 FM that song Steve's selection this week Reconstruction what? Side yes. by the Weaker Thans. It's a, in, a Winnipeg indie group. So do you feel that the Whitecaps are weaker than they were a <laughs> no, year ago? I did it because, I did it because of Reconstruction Side. Because oh, they were basically okay, reconstructing yeah. their teams. As, as that CPL was just a coincidence just that they're named the Weaker Thans. <laughs> well, the CPL teams are also in reconstruction mode and we're going to talk CPL and Canadian soccer in this part. Now, the new CPL season may be more than three months away. But the news and rumours coming out of it are coming very thick and fast. And let's kick things off by the news that it's, there's apparently there's an eighth team in the CPL this season. Crazy, as far as I'm concerned, with three months to go to the season gets underway. But there's an Ottawa team. They may or may not be called Atletico Ottawa. I don't think they will be. But there are some Atletico uh, Madrid connections. At least the owner looks like being having money in, in both things. Considering that it's the capital uh, uh, city, I was I was thinking citizens, something like citizens FC or citizens United or something like that. I don't know, I, or capital FC. Do you think that'll be the name? Considering how the other uh, CPL well, teams are I, named, Ottawa needs to have a team in the CPL. Everyone knows that. I I mean, are you stunned that it's happening so close to the season? Yeah, that does feel a little bit awkward. But like we talked about on the show previously, uh, it's good to not have the Ottawa Fury in the Canadian Premier League, but it's good that there's a team that's in, in the city. And it's good to see that this is able to happen in, in a way like this where they are, they, OS, OESG isn't fully uh, fully involved, although they're using their stadium. It's a bit of weird. I don't know if you guys have been reading any of the articles on this. It's a little bit weird that the guy from OESG is – going to be like the face of the club like the Ottawa face of the club but he's not doing it as OESG which is interesting because it shows that they were fractured over this like there's not agreement within that that group of people on how they should proceed and where they should go because this guy has apparently been talking to the CPL for a long time and there's serious negotiations about this proposal that they're trying to move forward with has been going on since since November um, which you have to believe that the possibility or the plans for this have been longer than November. Did you see also then they they uh, OE, OESG has parted ways with Julian de Guzman because because yeah. he's going to obviously be a part of this because yeah. because there's money for him to be made in multiple facets <laughs> like we've talked about in, sure. in the past. That's why I was always wondering why he was so upset over this and everything. He seemed like no, but Steve, what you said about Julian is CPL. Would 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 limit what he could make? Yeah, oh for sure. From from as sorry, would limit what he could make as the general manager of the team from OESG. Mm. That's why he didn't like it, and possibly and and also because of how it would limit him financially in other ways, which we won't get into great detail right now. Well, we'll talk a lot more about the sort of situation as it unfolds. But there was also the announcement this week of the newest manager in the league. Pacific FC have a new head coach. It's a former white cap. I know it's shocking there's a connection there with Pacific FC. It's Pamaduka 
It's Palme du Car. It's Palme du Car. It's Palme du Car. It's Car. Do do. Do do. Do do. Great song. Hope that really catches on over in Victoria. It's a slam originally. Let, let's talk a bit. It's, it's, it's thrilling news. Yes. <laughs> we can keep playing our thriller thing that he did. Very good, Steve. I was actually going to play that as the intro to this part because we were meant to actually speak to Pa on Friday and it kind of fell through on us twice. Some things happened that we never got to do it. He's away back to Holland right now, so we will be speaking to him when he comes back. But his coaching credentials, he was involved with the residency here. He actually took one of the residency groups, I think it was the, the U18s, to the residency uh, finals, the USSDA finals one week because the head coach, uh, Rich Fagan or Adam Day, because I can't remember which one it was that they took, was away doing uh, coaching at the time, uh, exams. So he's involved with that. He was involved with WFC2, then went to Cincinnati, where he was also the assistant first team coach with Alan Koch, and then stayed there after Alan went as well. He's always come across to me as a player who's enjoyed mentoring the younger kids. Winds them up. We saw that in a lot of the preseason stuff. Hard taskmaster as well, but fair. Given a lot of praise, given them a lot of advice. He was a great influence on Fonzie. And there was a while where Pa was his driver and was driving him about. And there was an interview that we did with Pa when they were training at Swan Guard one day. And I've told the story before. And like Fonzie just came and sat down beside us, like not even thinking that we're doing an interview, and he's just sitting listening in, and he he was just so enraptured by everything that Pa said, and he just loved to listen to him, and I think a lot of the young guys did, and he's got that experience. I think it's a great appointment. I think it's going to be great for the young guys at Pacific. He knows some of them already. He's going to be a guy that can use what he's done in the game to bring talent there. I'm very excited by this. So you're saying that Alfonso would give a ringing endorsement to Pod Muduga to become the Pacific FC coach? Most definitely. And who knows, maybe we'll get him here on, on loan if it, things don't work out in Bayern. And by here, I mean Victoria. <laughs> That's not funny. No, I'm super happy for for Pa. Uh, he is, is a quality fellow. I, when he came here, I know people were like, "Oh, he's from he came from Portland or you know whatever." People, you know, people like who have a similar view to I. Well, they have a problem with him. No, because I don't dislike Portland the way I do Seattle. But he also uh, went out of his way to connect with supporters, to become integrated into the culture, to give his all for the club, uh, and was yeah, just really, really great with great with supporters. Uh, always. Always made you um, feel a part of things. Uh, even later on, when he went, when he became, when he came, sort of like he was like a extra coach for for Robbo for a while there. Like there was never, it felt like he was like interning or something <laughs> as a coach. But he was like the, one of the hardest working dudes there. Like he was always the first one out, always the last one th- to go in as a coach. Um, and so you could tell he was just like working so, so hard. And, uh, so I think he's going to work hard in the same way as, as he has in the past when he goes to Pacific. And I think it's very, very exciting opportunity for him and for Pacific as a club. I definitely think he's going to really connect with the supporters there. He's going to help grow the game there as well. And yeah, I think it's a good appointment. It's a when you say that that would be an opposite of what the previous coach offered. He, he didn't come across as the most charismatic. Yeah, that's coach, what I mean. Yes. So they're they're going for something else. Yeah, and 
Pat's going to be very vocal on the touchline, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch as well. Looking forward to eventually catching up with him and sitting down. I have a lot of time for him. We had a lot of great chats when, when he was here, both like recorded and just like chatting at training as well. So, I mean, he, he he's a great guy. Now, Pacific re-signed two players this week, goalkeeper Nolan Worth and centre-back Lucas McNaughton. It's going to be interesting though to see who Pa does bring in, what kind of way he wants his team to play. Are they going to be like a defensive team as a defender, as a coach? Because they do need to shut up shop a little bit there because that was one of their, their big failings last year. He's worked with Terran Campbell before, so that's going to be good for him offensively-wise. But I'm curious who he's going to bring in. It's They're, definitely it's, it's good that they signed Nolan Worth considering Sean Melvin's definitely not coming there because yeah. he's going to switchbacks. There is one Pacific player whose future is up in the air, and that is Ben Fisk. He is apparently still in talks with Pacific, but he is also in demand elsewhere in the CPL. It looks like he's definitely staying in CPL. The The chatter on Twitter over the last couple of days was that it might just not be in Pacific. I'd be sad to see him move on because he really, really seemed to embrace being at Pacific. And from chatting to him last year, it was great to see him back, having family and friends over watching him. But you didn't feel... Pacific utilised him the way that they should have last year. He still had a, a not bad season, but they could have been so much better, I think. But I, I think with Pa coming in, that might be the thing that tips him into staying in Pacific because I think he's going to like what Pa might do to that team. Yeah, he played a lot last year when he wasn't fully fit also, which w- was in part due to his willingness to play in those situations, but also because there were so many other players injured for Pacific. Uh, I hope he goes back. Uh, I hope that for him. I hope that for the club. I hope that for the supporters. Uh, and I do. I do see Pa maybe being able to get more out of him. Um, but it'll be interesting. To see, can I talk about who else is maybe? So one of the other former Whitecaps who's there's lots to talk around is is Marco Bustos, right? And what's going to happen with him? Because there's lots of discussions going on right now about when you talk to people in Winnipeg and you talk to other people around the league, there's lots of interest in him. Uh, there's a high demand for him, I think, around the league as well. Um, and although he's from Winnipeg and you could see him staying there for a number of reasons, uh, going to a place like Pacific doesn't seem out of the question, especially with someone he knows there. Now, I don't know for sure his relationship like with Mark between Pa and Marcos, like the way we knew about like Pa and Alfonso or whatever. But um, I think that I think that would I think Pa being there will either be uh, Marcos wanting to go there or Marcus not wanting to go there. I think it'll be pretty clear in his mind. Um, but it'll be interesting to see where he lands up because he. He didn't light the league on fire, but he made significant contributions to the league. And he, and he came st- halfway through the year too, I think. Yeah, or late in the year. And in his yeah, in his limited time, he he stood out as a, an offensive player and, with with some flair and, and his best the best player on the team. I thought of Valors. Yeah, I mean, I, I would with say some that. question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, his future is certainly talked about. I mean, again, the internet murmurs have been that some of the bids out there could make him the highest paid player in CPL, which is kind of crazy in some ways when you look at some of the other names that is in CPL. But, I mean, good luck to him if he can get a, get a deal like that because we don't know what the highest paid player in CPL could be. It could no. just be like 60000 Yeah. But the thing is, is, is it, the whole thing about him is that it, if, they put, if like a stronger team picks him up, 
that strong team, like say a cavalry or something like that, and they bring them into this lineup, right? I'm just saying, say cavalry brings them or forge or something. They bring them into that lineup. He actually does really well. Maybe leads them to a title or something like that. That, that that's a potential sell on. Yeah. Where that's where they would want. That's why probably because they, they see some potential as sell on. I think cavalry is the one place I've heard that is not interesting. In well, it. no, I'm just saying using uh, like a strong team as an option where they could sell them on afterwards. Well, just to wrap this section up with some national team chat. There was three friendlies played in the last week or so for Canada. Two 4-1 wins over Barbados. 1-0 loss to Iceland. El Salvador just lost 1-0 to Iceland as well. So after all those things have kind of shaken out, Canada's pretty much back to where they started in terms of the, the Hicks qualification. They may have closed a point or two on El Salvador, but I don't think it's, it's really been that much. John Herdman's indicated that more friendlies are going to be coming in this March window. Maybe here, who knows, that would be fantastic. But I have a feeling they maybe might be on the road or in, in the States for that. Now, there were some interesting murmurs on Twitter over the weekend. that It didn't say who it was, I don't think, but one of the candidates for the CSA presidency is wanting to discuss Herdman's position at the next CSA meeting. I mean, surely too soon for that. I think so, and that would be a bad precedent to set. Well, it's kind of been a bad precedent where team coaches are ousted too way too quickly. They're not able to build a program. So I think it's okay to uh, I think it's okay to question the hiring process that brought about uh, John Herdman, right? Like there was problems with um, oh, what's his name Oz, uh, the Chilean. Uh, uh, the last coach, Octavio Zambrano. Uh, there was issues there. There was there was clearly issues. We've all heard different things behind the scenes about things that were not. He was not doing certain things well or right. You might some might say. Uh, so it was understandable. For, sorry, from the things I've heard, it was understandable why he was let go. However, the the process of bringing in, in John Herman was, I think, kind of an internal kind of uh, automatic no. No kind of interview process, no open kind of process. It was just like, here, let's just switch them over from the women's team. So I think it, it's fair to have a discussion or criticize or have concerns about that. But this is this, this is crazy talk. Like, you, uh, I mean, maybe this is someone who wants to be president who's trying to bring up an issue for them to have, for them to look like they have something to talk about or a wedge issue for them and trying to become president or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't know all the details of that. But this is, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. This is far, far too soon. I mean, if you after qualifying for twenty twenty two happens, and if Canada doesn't make it, or if Canada ends up being most likely in this the second bracket thing where they got to go through all these teams, if they don't get to like the end of that, like they don't come out of that, sure, maybe, or they come and out of that. You, and if you don't see any build, like building blocks or whatever, and the thing is, after twenty twenty two qualifying, I agree with you that the, the, there's going to be other coaches around the world totally. that know. They got an automatic bid. They want this Canada job because yeah. they want to do something in the like a home country or whatever. Totally. Yeah, so I can see that. Like, who so was it? Uh, the the uh, was it Gus Hiddink Gus that Hiddink, took over yeah. Korea, Korea or something yeah. like that? That was he, he went after that. Even though what what it has Korea done before that, right? They hadn't done anything, but he got into the World Cup to got this team all the way to the thing. So yeah. I see I see some coaches. Big name coaches wanting to coach Canada just for that. Yeah, so that's a fair time to have the discussion. But yeah. now that's like that's crazy talk in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if Canada doesn't make the World Cup, fair enough. That is the time to look at how that whole campaign's gone. 
and whether Herdman is the right man to take them into the 2026 World Cup. And Steve makes a very good point. It's going to be a very sought-after job. Yeah. It's going to put you on the, on the world Even stage. Even though I totally. think Herdman should keep it, considering he listens to our podcast. <laughs> so I don't want him to lose the job, because I hope I, I fear we'll lose, lose a listener then. True. <laughs> be down to four. Yeah. That'd be terrible. But, I mean, he is... He's, the pressure's on him, undoubtedly. And he has to show improvements with this squad... And this talented group of players that he has at his disposal, he has to show that Canada has taken steps forward. So we'll see how that goes. But we will be back with the last part of tonight's show after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Raposo, and you're listening to the AFTN Show. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. Broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. Tell us what that song was, Steve. Uh, that was Hazy Shade of Winter by the Bengals, back in the 80s song, a little 80s music. Yeah. There. And I thought because the winter was so, the last week was so crazy, I thought put them went yeah, up with that. that's good. Yeah. Plus, it's going to be a manic Monday because oh, sure, yeah. I have to stay up. Until who knows when to get this podcast edited. Training kicks off at 10 a.m. tomorrow. So, oh, yeah. Well, it's you don't have a... to be there right at 10, do you? No. Or... Although it might be the beep test. I'd like to see that. <laughs> I always enjoy the beep test. Something else I always enjoy, of course, is wavelength. And it's that time of the, the episode to get to our wavelength. This month, we are playing songs with an FA Cup theme. And we're going back to 1988 for this one. The FA Cup final song from the Liverpool squad didn't work for them. They lost, of course, in that famous final to Wimbledon. Mon the Wombles. But this is another one of those iconic FA Cup songs that I just uh, I just assume, of course, that everyone knows these kind of songs. But it turned out a lot of folk had never heard Ozzy's Dream that we played last week. And I don't know how well-known this song's actually going to be anyway. This is... Anfield rap. Liverpool FC is hot as hell. United Tottenham Arsenal. Watch my list and I will spell. Cause they don't just play, but they can rap as well. Liverpool FC. My idea was it to build Liverpool into a bastion of invincibility, you know. Oh, you 
got it sussed. We'll have to learn them to talk like us. Well, I'm rapping now, I'm rapping for fun. I'm your goalie, book number one. You can take the mix, don't call me a clown. Any more lip and you're going down. All right, we're great, me and you. But the other lads don't talk like we do. Some serious rapping. I come from Jamaica. My name is John Bonnet. When I do my thing, the crowd go bananas. How's he doing the Jamaica rap? He's from just south of the Watford Gap. He gives us stick about the North of Divide. Cause they've got the job. Yeah, yeah but, but we, we got, got the side. Well, I came to England looking for fight. So come on, Kenny, man, give us a game. Cause I've sat on the bench by my juice, my face. I'm very big down under, but my watch is agreed. They have won the league. Bigger stars than Dallas. They've got more silver than Liverpool FC is hot as hell. My idea was to build Liverpool up and up and up until eventually they would be untouchable. Everybody would have to submit. Given. 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 Island lads. Okay, the new. And there's four of us. And all they do of you. So if you want new trouble, and you don't want to slap, you better teach us the Anfield rap. Don't forget us, Paddy. And me, they do. And I'm from London, mate, so watch your game. Sounds of 1988 and the Liverpool FA Cup final squad with Anfield rap. Some folk may say Anfield crap after listening to that song. It was, like, I, I think it's iconic, but I, there was a BBC reporter in 2012 who said it was the worst offender of those kind of songs. But what, the, what year did it come out? 1988. Yeah, because there was a lot of like t- teams doing their rap songs like on... This side of the ocean, oh. the NFL teams, the the Bears did a rap, the Chicago Bears. That was the most uh, memorable one out of all. Yeah, the, there's some Vancouver connections in the song as well. Former Whitecap Bruce Grobelar was on the record, and it mentioned Bobby Robson. He wasn't obviously on the record, but he was here with Vancouver Royals. But there's, there's some big names on on that record. You had John Barnes, you had Kenny Dalgleish, Alan Hansen. Uh, Steve Nichol, a guy that we're not 
that fond of really here. Oh, my you're not that fond. <laughs> um, and some great stuff from Brian Moore, the commentator rapping as well. I like it. We've got one more Effie Cup song to come next week. Ooh, can it be worse than that? Mm, yeah, very possibly. Anyway, now it's time for BC Soccer Web Headlines. BC Soccer Web Headlines is brought to you in partnership with bcsoccerweb.com, your one-stop site for local, national and international news, stories, features and a lot more besides. Make it part of your daily routine, morning, noon or night. Check out bcsoccerweb.com. And that's exactly what Steve was doing all week long. That's why he was on the computer. Honestly, Mrs. Pander, that's why he was on the computer. <laughs> what was catching your weepy eyes this week, Steve? Uh, well, okay, so uh, the first story, we talked about the Canadian national team in the previous segment. Um, one soccer, and obviously CPL, one soccer has uh, got the rights to the CONCACAF Gold Cup uh, taking over for TSN. They've acquired exclusive rights to the 2021 and 2022 editions of the Gold Cup. Uh, they'll be ex- offering exclusive live coverage of all 31 matches uh, at at least the 2021 World Cup. I'm not sure about the 2023. So what do you guys think? That another yeah. feather in the cap of the ex- one soccer? It, now, as someone that has one soccer, yeah, great. I'll still get to see the matches and there's less and less reasons for me needing to, to keep TSN at, at this rate. AEW is probably the, the main reason for me right now. Yeah. I can find that other ways, so that's fine. But from the again, from growing for growing the game in the country, having it all exclusively on a streaming service, although there's lots of talk that one soccer is actually going to be a cable channel that, that you can get as well, but you still have to pay for it. I, I just think these things should be more on free to air if you're gonna grow the game. Especially national teams. Like that's yeah. what that's where I am. Some would argue that the watching the Gold Cup doesn't grow the game though. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it, it's good for one soccer. Uh, hopefully, that continues to help the. Uh, I hate this term, but the properties they have grow so that they become more popular, and more people will subscribe. Whether that's on their current uh, form of online or, like you said, Michael, potentially on TV. Um, but yeah, it is weird and having national team games in Canada now or continue to cost cost money because yeah, it, it does feel like. <clears throat> It should be something that, and I don't know what, how it is in all the countries around the world, but it's something it feels like you would want on like the CBC, all the games on the CBC free to air. That doesn't obviously make sense for the the CSA uh, and their partners, but that, that would that would be nice. Um, another story. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the Gold Cup. Uh, one player who might be at that 2021 World Cup is Chicharito. You keep saying World Cup. Oh, so I say Gold Cup. I meant to say sorry. Chicharito might be at that Gold Cup, um, He and he won't have to travel that far either. He's going to be meeting, he's uh, rumored to be meeting with Galaxy officials to seal uh, a deal that's going to be worth about $10 million. Um, he's moving over from Spain, and it's, it's rumored to be a three-year deal. Um, and, and then as also, uh, it's also reported that he has given a yes to the Galaxy. It's more of the the paperwork uh, between the two teams to figure out what the final rate's going to be. It's a, it's a good move. Taps into, I, I guess, the Spanish-speaking market there as well. Interesting to see the, the battle between Vela and him. You had Vela and Zlatan last year. 
they needed to get a big name striker in. As a West Ham fan, he didn't really light it up in his time at West Ham. So are his best days behind him? Will he think MLS is a, an easier proposition than, say, the, the Premier League? I yeah. guess we'll soon see. No, and the thing is, he was I think he was uh, ousted out of the top spot, the striker spot on uh, Sevilla as well. So uh, it's interesting. Obviously, he, that's maybe why he's moving on, because he just doesn't see a role for him there. Now, uh, across town... Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips uh, is is getting ready to train with LAFC. Um, he was not retained at the Red Bulls. He has scored 108 goals since joining the MLS in 2013, but his his production dipped last year, going from 20 goals uh, the previous year to two goals last year in 24 appearances. Um, they they really want to get him in because of the whole Concacaf thing. They want uh, more depth and everything, so that that's the biggest reason why they want to bring him in. Great addition for them. Uh, he's the kind of guy I'd have loved the Whitecaps to have somehow made that happen and, and bring him here. He's done so well in MLS. He's a proven scorer and he's a proven performer. But and he's 35. Exactly what, yeah, but the Whitecaps need a little bit of older mentality in there, I feel. It's 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 a potentially scary signing for the for the goats if if that happens because he is he would bring them like he would be an amazing depth striker for them right yeah. they're, they're going to be playing so many games a, this year we're talking about Montero being a luxury for the Whitecaps on the pitch that would be a luxury with Bradley Wright Phillips yeah it it would be it would be crazy uh, you would see his goal I, I mean I'm not uh, you know I'm not one to guarantee things but I think you would see his goal production uh, you know. If he were to be like their their second or third or whatever striker, yeah. you know, up front, like you you got to see him scoring like ten goals at least for sure. Now we talked about Bradley Wright Phillips being thirty five. Uh, flip those numbers over, and we're going to talk about now the oldest footballer in uh, pro uh, with a pro football team, Kazuyoshi Murya, signing on for his thirty fifth season. Um, he does turn fifty three, like we said, next month. He's been recognized by Guinness World Book of Records as the, both the oldest player and the oldest goal scorer in professional football history. Little bit of information. Um, well, currently he signed a one-year contract w- uh, with Japanese outfit Yokohama FC, uh, who he's been with since uh, 2005. They've just been uh, promoted to the top flight. He At 15, he traveled to Brazil um, and in 82 and was awarded a pro contract as Santos, uh, Pele's old team. Uh, and he made his, but he made his first appearance, uh, in 86 at the age of 19. Since joint becoming a pro, he's played with 14 clubs scoring 185 goals in 739 matches, 55 goals with in 89 caps with the national team. He scored 14 goals in the 98 world cup qualifying, but was surprisingly omitted from the roster. So he didn't actually make the World Cup. That's the one thing that's missing from his uh, resume. And by signing this one-year extension, keeps him as the the oldest footballer in world football, depriving 43-year-old Ali Adnan of getting that record. Yeah, we were. Jo- I was joking. We were joking on WhatsApp earlier about how you know Michael, you're always joking about playing for the Whitecaps. This just you know gives you hope. Hopefully. Maybe you can talk to MDS. Well, they're short of numbers. Exactly. I could fill one in one of these games. And you like San Diego? Oh, I love it. Is there not a Lego thing or something down there? There is Legoland, yeah. Yeah. Carlsbad, yeah, just north of San Diego. I don't want to know about Carlsbad. He's gone to Australia now. That's none of our concern. 
So, just before we go to bed, let everyone know what you learned this week and where they can find you online. Well, what I learned was that if um, Michael was Meryl Streep and he had Sophie's Choice, he would choose Zach over me. He would send me to the get to the chamber, essentially, um, even though Zach is German and he probably would have been okay not to go to there. <laughs> oh, my. And where can people find you online? Oh, you find me on Twitter, my cast feed. <laughs> okay. For me, it's at Zachary M. And the thing I learned on this show is that uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael is a crazy. <laughs> I you learned this week. I can't say what I wanted to say. Michael, Michael's just uh, some of his opinions are mother figure. <laughs> That's not what I was going to say. It's minifigure. That's what. Yeah, minifigure. Uh, Michael, I said Carl's bad, not Carl's bed. Anyways, Carl's bad. You should go check it out. Michael doesn't know where Legoland is. That's what I learned on this episode. Uh, Michael, where can people find you? You can find me checking out Legoland. I thought it was in Denmark. There's one or two. Oh. Denmark is the main yeah. headquarters. Billund. Yeah. But anyway, you can find me online at AFTN Canada on Twitter, AFTN Canada on YouTube. Give us a like, subscribe, and follow. And on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. We'll be back next week with the last show before I head off for a couple of weeks back to the UK. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and more no white caps preseason training camp. <laughs>